Chapter Ten of Dandelion Cottage by Carol Watson Rankin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten: The Milligans. To the moment of Grandma Pike's departure, all their neighbors had been so pleasant. The girls were deceived into thinking that neighbors were never anything but pleasant. Although they felt not the slightest misgiving as to their future neighbors, they had hated to lose dear old Grandma Pike who had always been as good to them as if she had really been their grandmother, and whose parting gifts, sundry odds and ends of dishes, old magazine, and broken parcels of provisions, gave them occupation for many delightful days. In spite of the lasting pleasure of this unexpected donation, however, they could not help feeling that, with Mr. Blackaway, Miss Blossom gone, Mrs. Pike living in another town, and only disabled Mrs. Crane left, they were losing friends with alarming rapidity. Grief for the departed, however, did not prevent their taking an active interest in the persons who were to occupy the house next door, which Mrs. Pike's departure had left vacant. "'I wonder,' said Marjorie, pulling the curtain back to get a better view of the empty house, "'what the new people will be like. It's exciting, isn't it, to have something happening in this quiet neighborhood? What did Grandma Pike say their name was?' Milligan, replied Betty. Kind of nice name, isn't it? asked Jean. Yes, agreed Mabel, brightening suddenly. I made up a long, long rhyme about it last night before I went to sleep. Want to hear it? Of course. This one really rhymes, explained Mabel, importantly. Her verses sometimes lacked that desirable quality, so when they did rhyme, Mabel always liked to mention it. Here it is. As soon as a man named Milligan got well, he always fell ill again. Ill again, ill. Dear me, I can't remember how it went. There was a lot more, but I've forgotten the rest. It's a great pity, said Marjorie dryly, that you don't forget all of it, because if there's really a Mr. Milligan and I ever see him, I'll think of that rhyme and I won't be able to keep my face straight. We must be very polite to the Milligans said considerate Betty, and call on them as soon as they come. Mother always calls on new people. She says it makes folks feel more comfortable to be welcomed into the neighborhood. Mrs. Crane does it, too. We're the nearest, perhaps. We ought to be the first. I think, suggested Jean thoughtfully, we'd better wait until they're nicely settled. They might not like visitors too soon. You know, we didn't. They're going to move in today, said Mabel. "'Goodness! I wish they'd hurry and come. I'm so excited that I keep dusting the same shelf over and over again. I'm just wild to see them.' It was sweeping day at the cottage when the Milligans' furniture began to arrive, but it looked very much as if the sweeping would last for at least two days, because the girls were unable to get very far away from the windows that faced west. These were the bedroom windows, and as there were only two of them, there were always usually two heads at each window. "'There comes the first load,' announced Marjorie at last. "'There's a high chair on the very top, so there must be a baby.' "'I'm so glad,' said Betty. "'I just love a baby.' Two men unpacked the Milligan's furniture in the Milligan's front yard, and each load seemed more interesting than the one before it. It was such fun to guess what the big clumsy parcels contained, particularly when the contents proved to be quite different from what the girls expected. "'Somehow, I don't think they're going to be very nice people,' said Mabel. 
I believe we're going to be disappointed in 'em." "Why, Mabel," objected Jean, "we don't know a thing about them yet." "Yes, I do. Their things look they don't look _ladylike_." "Oh, Mabel," laughed Marjory, "you're so funny." "Perhaps," offered Jean, "the Milligans are poor and the children have spoiled things." "No," insisted Mabel, "they've got some of the newest and shiniest furniture I ever saw, but I believe it's imitation." "Oh, Mabel," laughed Jean, "I hope you won't watch the loads when _I_ move. For a girl that's slept for three weeks on an imitation pillow, you're pretty critical." Presently the Milligans themselves arrived. Mabel happened to be counting the buds on the poppy plants when they came. "'Girls!' she cried, rushing into the cottage with the news. "'They've come. I saw them all. There's a Mr. Milligan, a Mrs. Milligan, a girl, a boy, and a baby, and a dog. The girl's the oldest. She's just about my size. I mean height. And she has straight, light hair. The baby walks, and none of them are so very good-looking.' It did not take the newcomers long to discover that their next-door neighbors were four little girls. Mrs. Milligan found it out that very afternoon when she went to the back door to borrow tea. Betty explained, very politely, that Dandelion Cottage was only a playhouse and that their tea caddy contained nothing but glass beads. When Mrs. Milligan returned to her own house, she told her own family about it. "'You might as well run over and play with them, Laura,' she said. "'Take the baby with you, too.' He's a dreadful nuisance under my feet. That'll be a real nice place for you both to play all summer. The girls received their visitors pleasantly, almost indeed with enthusiasm. But after a very few moments, they began to eye the baby with apprehension. He refused to make friends with them, but wandered about rather lawlessly and handled their treasures roughly. Laura paid no attention to him, but talked to the girls. She seemed a bright girl and not at all bashful and she used a great many slang phrases that sounded new, and it must be confessed, rather attractive to the girls. "'Oh, land, yes,' she said. "'We came here from Chicago, where we had all kinds of money and clothes to burn. We lived in a beautiful flat. Pa just came here to oblige Mr. Williams. He's going to clerk in Williams's store. Come over and see me. We'll be real friendly and have lots of good times together. I can put you up to lots of dodges.' Say, this is a dandy place to play in. I'm coming over often. Jean looked in silence at Betty, Betty at Mabel, and Mabel at Marjorie. Surely such an outburst of cordiality deserved a fitting response, but no one seemed to be able to make it. Do, said Jean, finally, but rather feebly, we'd be pleased to have you. Except for a few lively but good-natured squabbles between Marjorie, who was something of a tease, and Mabel, who was Marjorie's favorite victim, the little mistresses of Dandelion Cottage had always played together in perfect harmony. But with the coming of the Milligans, everything was changed. To start with, between the Milligan baby and the Milligan dog, the girls knew no peace. Mrs. Milligan was right when she said that the baby was a nuisance, for it would have been hard to find a more troublesome three-year-old. He pulled down everything he could reach, broke the girls' best dishes, wiped their precious petunia and the geraniums completely out of existence, and roared with a deep bass voice if anyone attempted to interfere with him. The dog carried mud into the neat little cottage, scratched up the garden, 
and growled if the girls tried to drive him out. Well, said Mabel disconsolately, in one of the rare moments when the girls were alone, I could stand the baby and the dog, but I can't stand Laura. Laura certainly likes to boss, said Betty, who looked pale and worried. I don't just see what we're going to do about it. I try to be nice to her, but I can't like her. Mother says we must be polite to her, but I don't believe Mother knows just what a queer girl she is. You see, she's always as quiet as can be when there are grown people around. Yes, agreed Mabel. Her company manners are so much properer than mine that Mama says she wishes I were more like her. Well, said Marjorie uncompromisingly, I'm mighty glad you're not. Your manners aren't particularly good, but you haven't two sets. I think Laura's the most disagreeable girl I ever knew. Just as she fools you into almost liking her, she turns around and scratches you. Perhaps, said Jean, if her people were nicer. By the way, Mother says that after this we must keep the windows shut while Mr. Milligan is splitting wood in his backyard so we can't hear the awful things he says. And if we hear Mr. and Mrs. Milligan quarreling again, we mustn't listen. Listen, exclaimed Mabel. We don't need to listen. Their voices keep getting louder and louder until it seems as if they were right in this house. Of course, said Marjorie, it can't be pleasant for Laura at home. But dear me, it isn't pleasant for us with her over here. Badly brought up Laura was certainly not a pleasant playmate. She wanted to lead in everything and was amiable only when she was having her own way. She was not satisfied with the way the cottage was arranged, but rearranged it to suit herself. She told the girls that their garments were countrified, and laughed scornfully at Betty's boyish frocks and heavy shoes. She ridiculed rotund Mabel for being fat, and said that Marjorie's nose turned up, and that Jean's rather large mouth was a good opening for a young dentist. Before the first week was fairly over, the four girls, who had lived so happily before her arrival, were grieved, indignant, or downright angry three-fourths of the time. Laura had one habit that annoyed the girls excessively, although at first they had found it rather amusing. Later, however, owing perhaps to a certain rasping quality in Laura's voice, it grew very tiresome. She transposed the initials of their names. For instance, Betty Tucker became Teddy Bucker, Jeanie Mapes became Meanie Japes, while Mabel became Babel Mennett. It was particularly distressing to have Laura speak familiarly in her sharp, half-scornful tones of their dear departed Miss Blossom, whose name was Gertrude, as Bertie Glossom. Mr. Peter Black, of course, became Beater Plack, and Mrs. Bartholomew Crane was Mrs. Cartholomew Brain to lawless young Laura. "'I don't think it's exactly respectful to do that to grown-up people's names,' protested Betty one day. Pooh, said Laura. Mrs. Cartholomew Brain looks just like an old washtub. She's so fat. Who'd be respectful to a washtub? There goes Dr. Ducker, Teddy Bucker. Huh. I'd hate to be a parson's daughter. They're always as poor as church mice. What did you say your mother's first name is? I didn't say, and I'm not going to, returned Betty. Well, anyhow, her bonnet went out of style four years ago. I should think the parish to take up a subscription and get her a new one. 
"I wish, Laura," said exasperated Jean, another day, "that you wouldn't meddle with our things. This bedroom is mine and Bettie's, and the other one is Mabel's and Marjory's. We wouldn't think of looking into each other's private treasure boxes. I've seen you open mine half a dozen times this week. The things are all keepsakes, and I'd rather not have them handled." "Huh! I guess I'll handle them if I want to. My mother can't keep me out of her bureau drawers, and I don't think you're so very much smarter." A day or two later, the girls of Dandelion Cottage were invited to a party in another portion of the town. The invitations were left at their own cottage door, and the delighted girls began at once to make plans for the party. "'Let's carry our new handkerchiefs,' suggested Jean, going to her treasure box. "'I believe I'll take mine home with me. I dreamed last night that the cottage was on fire, and that mine got burned. Besides, I'll have to get dressed at home for the party, and it would be handier to have it there.' "'Guess I will, too,' said Betty. "'Great idea,' said Marjorie, taking her own box from its shelf. "'I never should have thought of anything so bright. "'Let's all write to Miss Blossom and tell her that we carried our—' "'Why, mine isn't in my box.' "'Neither is mine,' cried Mabel, who had turned quite pale at the discovery. "'It was there this morning. "'Girls, did any of you touch our handkerchiefs?' "'Of course we didn't,' said Jean. "'See, here's mine with J on it, and there are no others in my box.' "'Of course not,' echoed Laura. "'Mine's here all right,' said Betty, who had been struggling with her box, which opened hard. "'Are you sure you left them in your boxes?' "'Certain sure,' replied Mabel. "'I saw it this morning.' "'So did I see mine,' asserted Marjorie. "'After I had shown it to Auntie Jane, I brought it back to put in my treasure-box.' "'Laura,' asked Jean, "'was Marjorie's handkerchief in her box when you looked in it this morning? "'I heard the cover make that funny little clicking noise that it always makes, "'and just a minute afterwards you came out of her room.' "'I... I don't know,' stammered Laura. "'I didn't see it. I, I never touched her old box. "'If you say I did, I'll go right home and tell my mother you called me a thief. "'I'm going now anyway.' "'The girls were in the dining-room,' just outside of the back bedroom door. As Laura was brushing past Jean, the opening of the new girl's blouse caught in such a fashion on the corner of the sideboard that the garment, which fastened in front, came unbuttoned from top to bottom. From its bulging front dropped Betty's bead chain, various articles of doll's clothing, and the two missing handkerchiefs. "'They're mine!' cried Laura, making a dive for the things. "'They're not any such thing!' cried indignant Jean. I made that doll's dress myself, and I know the lace on those handkerchiefs. They're my mother's, protested Laura. I took them out of her drawer. They're not, contradicted Mabel, prying Laura's fingers apart and forcing her to drop one of the crumpled handkerchiefs. Look at that monogram, M.B. for Mabel Bennett. It's no such thing, lied Laura stoutly. It stands for Bertha Milligan, and that's my mother's name. "'Give me that other handkerchief this instant,' demanded Jean, giving Laura a slight shake. "'If you don't, we'll take it away from you.' "'Take the old rag,' said Laura. "'My mother gives away better handkerchiefs than those to beggars. "'I just took em anyway to scare Varjory Mail and Babel Mennett, the silly babies.' After this enlightening experience, the girls never for a moment left their unwelcome visitor alone in any of the rooms of Dandelion Cottage. They stood her for almost a week longer, 
principally because there seemed to be no way of getting rid of her. Mabel, indeed, had several lively quarrels with her during that time, because quick-tempered Mabel, always strictly truthful herself, could not tolerate deceit in anyone else, and she had, of course, lost all faith in Laura. The end came suddenly one Friday afternoon. Miss Blossom had sent to the girls by mail a photograph of her own charming self, and nothing that the cottage contained was more precious. After one of the usual tiffs with Mabel, high-handed Laura spitefully scratched a disfiguring mustache right across the beautiful face, ruining the priceless treasure beyond repair. Even Laura looked slightly dismayed at the result of her spiteful work. The others for a moment were too horror-stricken for words. Then Mabel, with blazing eyes, sprang to her feet and flung the cottage door wide open. "'You go home, Laura Milligan,' she cried. "'Don't you ever dare to come inside this house again!' "'Yes, go,' cried mild Betty, for once thoroughly roused. "'We've tried to be nice to you, and there hasn't been a single day that you haven't been rude and horrid. Go home this minute. We're done with you.' "'I won't go until I'm good and ready,' retorted Laura, tearing the disfigured photograph in two and scornfully tossing the pieces into a corner. "'Such a fuss about a skinny old maid's picture!' "'You shan't stay one instant longer,' cried indignant Jean, stepping determinedly behind Laura, placing her hands on the girl's shoulders and making a sudden run for the door. "'There, you're out. Don't you ever attempt to come in again!' Betty, grasping the situation and the Milligan baby at the same time, promptly set the boy outside. She had handled him with the utmost gentleness, but he always roared if anyone touched him, and he roared now. "'Yeah,' yelled Laura. "'I'll tell my mother you pinched him. Slapped him, too.' "'Zapped him, too,' wailed the baby. "'Well,' said Jean, turning the key in the lock, We'll have to keep the door locked after this. Mercy! I never behaved so dreadfully to anybody before, and I hope I'll never have to again. End of chapter 10